The New Testament reading today, the epistle that the lectionary delivers our way, is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I couldn't talk to you like spiritual people, but like unspiritual people, like babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink instead of solid food because you weren't up to it yet. Now you are still not up to it because you are still unspiritual. When jealousy and fighting exist between you, aren't you unspiritual and living by human standards? When someone says, I belong to Paul, and someone else says, I belong to Apollos, Aren't you acting like people without the Spirit? After all, what is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants who helped you to believe, and each one had a role given to them by the Lord. I planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. Because of this, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but the only one who is anything is God who makes it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together, but each one will receive their own reward for their own labor. For we are God's co-workers, and you are God's field, God's building. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During a recent neighborhood get-together, my friend shared her latest learnings with me from the community classes she attends. Since she retired six months ago, I have heard her regular and informative reports on interpreting handwriting, cooking Thai food, and various other topics, which this time was preparing the soil for a flourishing garden. According to her teacher, who is a master gardener, there are things that exist under the soil that those of us amateurs and not masters may not realize. There is apparently um, fungi systems that extend for long stretches underneath the earth and that help carry water and nutrients to plants. She said ordinary dirt contains a lively ecosystem of worms and nutrients, and that when soil is rototilled, as is popular in my own neighborhood as the rototiller moves down the street, all that good fungi and nutritious worm habitat is violently disrupted. She says, and then if we put artificial fertilizer on top of the newly turned soil, it's like salt on a wound, killing the good stuff as well as the weeds. So her teacher's advice for preparing a garden is simple. Develop excellent compost made up of kitchen scraps and dry materials and lay it on top of the soil in the spring, then plant your seeds and watch them grow. For the home gardener, it's best to pay attention to what is already alive in the dirt. And don't use fancy methods, artificial attitudes, uh, sorry, not attitudes, ad additives, maybe attitudes too, uh, that could apply later, um, and aggressive disruptions of life systems underneath the soil. 
So her gardening lesson took me back several years ago to a time when gardening was really important to me too and when I had more time to do it. I used to keep a compost pile by our old carriage house and it was always a good chore in the house to send the boys out in all kinds of weather to dump the kitchen scraps onto the compost pile and the ashes from the fireplace or from an outdoor fire. In the spring, we all worked together to make the garden come alive, or as alive as it can be with four boys and people pulling things that aren't weeds, and, you know, it was a mess. But it was alive. And all was going fairly well until one bright sunny day in May when I heard a neighbor yell, fire, and I looked out our window to see the 100-year-old carriage house in our backyard engulfed in flames. I was home with just one child at the time and the pets. The other boys were out playing soccer and my husband was at church. We don't have a garage in this old farmhouse. So the carriage house on the property held everything but cars. Bicycles and garden tools, lawnmowers and kiddie pools, soccer balls, baseball bats, a toboggan, and a kayak. Later, we suspected the fire was caused by still warm ashes put on the compost pile earlier that morning. It took my husband about a month to break that news to me. But that day, I was thankful for my neighbors. One neighbor is a retired army ranger, and he quickly assessed the situation. He informed people of the danger zone. He stopped traffic when the fire truck arrived. Another neighbor is a social worker who came to sit with me, who looked into my eyes and determined I was in shock, then brought me a blanket and made tea. I had just returned home from a trip to Atlanta with another presbytery, where I was part of a committee to hear stories of young men who were abused by ch as children, and their trauma was still sitting with me very heavily as the parent of teenage boys myself. There was something about the combination of a house fire and abuse stories that got to me. And a few days after the fire, I had the only panic attack I have ever experienced in my life or hope to experience. The whole thing, the increased heart rate, the hyperventilated breathing, the irrational fears. Now, I'm the calmest person I know, so that was really shocking to me that that could happen to anybody under certain circumstances, and it was scary. And it was enough to bring me back to the basics that I had been neglecting. Good nutrition, adequate sleep, dedicated prayer, exercise, and time in nature. Later, I learned a helpful method used by people in the recovery community, and it's called HALT. Apparently, it's an acronym that stands for hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Those battling addiction learn that being hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, and not doing something positive about it can cause the craving for alcohol or drugs to increase. So it's a way of attending to the basics, the physical basics and the emotional basics of care for ourselves so we can be as healthy and as hopeful as possible. It's nothing fancy. It's just basic attention to being alive and in the world and present where we are. When I read Paul's letter to the contentious Corinthian congregation, 
I wonder if churches need to learn the HALT method too. Part of Paul's role as he roams around preaching and teaching and encouraging Jesus' followers to keep on following was to call folks out when their actions and words were not consistent with the life Jesus intends. So for the Corinthians specifically, these factions had developed around various leaders according to their perceived ability for preaching and spiritual wisdom. And I think it's possible, even probable, that at least some of those Corinthians were hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. So Paul has to go back to the basics with them, which I don't take as judgment against their spiritual immaturity, but as an act of compassion based on their capacity at the moment. Paul tells them that while he longs to teach them the deeper things of faith, the solid food, he finds himself instead giving them milk. He says he will know when they are ready for more in-depth spiritual teaching when they stop fighting with each other over who is the best leader and instead see themselves, each one of them, as being built into a house where God dwells, built into a field where God is the master gardener. He will know they are Christians by their love. And the key to Paul's argument here is his contention that no human teacher or preacher deserves all-star status because spiritual wisdom comes from God's Holy Spirit. People truly in touch with God's wisdom are recognized not by impressive speeches, but by the signs of the Spirit's presence with them. They act and think and love like Jesus. And if the church is a garden, they consider themselves to be planters and waterers of a crop that actually belongs to God. Now, I've been your interim pastor for nearly six months now, and you have been kind enough to share your memories and your stories of what has been life-giving and what's been challenging at Fairmount. I love hearing those stories. You speak of your former pastors with respect, even when you disagreed with them, and you acknowledge there have been hard times. Some of you name those hard times. Some of you still here, some no longer here, were hurt at different times in the life of the church when different pastors left, Pastor Eric or the departure of Pastor Derek, and others of you long for the remembered goodness of Pastor Louise or Hank Anderson or others. I just love that everyone has a different person they mention to me as being someone that they learned how to believe more deeply from. And I don't think any of those pastors thought of themselves as being in charge of this building and this field and causing the growth. They all knew that it is God who causes change, God who causes the growth in us and in our church. But if we apply the HALT method I mentioned earlier, we have to admit there are times when we, when you have been hungry for spiritual food and felt like you weren't getting it. When you have been angry over what has happened or not happened here. When you have been lonely, even in a crowd or a sanctuary. And when you have been tired of transition, of, of change, of uncertainty. And in those times, it's too tempting to wish for the old days and it's too easy to pay attention to the places of scarcity rather than abundance. Part of the gift of coming from the outside is that I can see some things that you might not from your point of view, some really good things, 
I can see that despite all the other stuff that's happened, this is a place that is resilient and generous. It doesn't take much to look beyond whatever squabbles you have had and find the very depths where Christ's love abounds in this congregation and when seeds that were planted years ago come into fruition of faithfulness. Those places are here, buried not even too far beneath the surface, flowering into God's good purposes. Last year, during what anyone would admit was a tumultuous year, you met and exceeded your giving expectations, pledges and otherwise. You have abundant energy for ministry that matters, for excellent music, for social action, for community building amongst families. You want to preserve tradition here, yet be open to new things too. Yet there are some who feel tired or lonely here. There are seniors who can't be involved like they used to be. There are singles of all ages who struggle to find community. And there are others who feel they stand out because of personal circumstances. How can we make this truly an inclusive, authentic, relevant garden of faith that looks not to the past, but to the present, to who we are now, to who our neighbors are right now? How can we attend to the abundant life that is already here, is already among you? Nothing fancy. Basic attention to being alive and being in this world. In my position as executive presbyter in Delaware and the Eastern Shore of Maryland, I've told you how I visited different churches each Sunday. In those moments before I put my robe on to be the guest preacher for the day, I parked my car, I found the entrance, I encountered people on the way in who had no idea who I was. So in essence, I was like a secret shopper for 50 different churches. <laughs> and it was really fun. It was also sad sometimes. It was fun when I arrived and I saw these things I considered basic but were all too rare. When I got to the parking lot and I saw which door I was supposed to enter. When I walked in and somebody gave me a warm greeting. When there was a spirit-filled worship service. When there was an invitation to have a cup of coffee or go to a community event afterwards. Basic things. But I was so grateful when I experienced them because it wasn't all the time. I can relate to the recent story by Leon Bibb on restaurant owner Vanessa Whiting. I hope you all either read it or saw it in the video. And there was this piece in the video where Vanessa's so happy when she goes to one of her Popeye's chicken stores and she reports that I walked in, I was greeted, there was suggestive selling, I almost wept. I get emotional like that too, for the basic things. When I see them happening in this church or a church I visit, when I see connections and hugs and invitations and relationships, I don't know anything about fried chicken or owning a business, but I recognized in that that I know people want to be acknowledged when they come to church. They want to be greeted. They want to be invited to something more, a suggestion of some involvement beyond just Sunday worship. Here we are working on being God's building and God's field where everyone can grow in their spiritual life, whether they consider themselves mere beginners 
or planters and waterers of a crop that belongs to God. In contrast to Paul's teaching on levels of wisdom and spiritual maturity, and if you can't tell, I sometimes have arguments with Paul inside my head, and this is one of those times. I mean, how do you preach to people and tell them they're all babies and they can't take... it's, 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 It doesn't ring true to what I see Jesus promoting in his time on earth because Jesus kept things pretty simple and it seemed to me he didn't differentiate between the spiritually mature and the beginners and it seemed to me he met people right where they are and in the gospel of John he said by this everyone will know you are my disciples by this everyone will know you are my disciples and there wasn't a lot of layers to it there wasn't a lot of complexity the rest of the sentence was this if you love one another. And that verse is paraphrased in the refrain of the song we'll sing at the end of the service, they will know we are Christians by our love. Like many songs coming out of folk music of the 60s, that one connected to what was felt to be a societal upheaval. It spoke to the faith story of young people disillusioned with the landscape of American culture. And it was sung theology like so much of our sacred music is. But this one is nothing fancy. It's just basic attention to unity, walking together, hand in hand, working together, side by side, guarding human dignity, giving praise to God the Creator, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who makes us one. In her book, Holding Faith, a Practical Introduction to Christian Doctrine, Cynthia Rigby writes on Christian vocation, that sense of call, wherever you are in the world. She says, what sense can we make of this moment as a moment of discipleship? What are we being called upon to do and to be right now today? For it is right now, today, that the Messiah asks us to join him in doing power differently, in hoping against all hope, in holding nothing back for the sake of those whom God so loves. Will we, she said, will we join in what God is up to? Or will we just get in the way? In the messiness and the complexity of these days, I think the basic things really, really matter. The basic attention to being alive and in the world. Like my army ranger neighbor, how do we assess our present context, inform people of danger, stop traffic when needed so people can get help? Like my social worker friend, how do we sit with each other and listen and sometimes just provide a blanket and a cup of tea? How do we join in what God is up to instead of getting in the way? What we give attention to grows. Outside my bedroom window, I can see that old garden covered in snow. Right beside the brand new carriage house, another neighbor built for us. Six years after the fire, we still find unidentified burned shards of items in the soil. But there was one item that went through the fire without being consumed at all. I found it the very next day when the ashes were still warm. It was a gardening trowel made of iron, undamaged, exactly how it had been presented to me on Mother's Day that year made in shop class by my high school senior who was just about to go into basic training for the Marines.
That iron gardening trowel reminds me to pay attention to what I want to see grow. I will use it to spread compost this year and plant yet another hopeful batch of sunflowers that may or may not produce a harvest. The iron trowel reminds me not to lose sight of the basics, adequate sleep, good nutrition, time and prayer and nature with family and friends. Maybe we can even encourage each other to tend to what is alive, what God is doing in our midst and the basic elements of Christian life, hospitality to the stranger, generosity, serving and being served, nothing fancy, just basic attention to being alive and in the world that God loves and cares for. They will know we are Christians by our love. May that be so. Amen.